Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and uh, we're just having a conversation. No pressure. I'm Scott Daly and I'm not going to say a damn thing without my lawyer present. Fine, fine. Hey, uh, don't don't get the lawyer. Don't don't get the lawyer. In, in, in the meantime, um, why don't we just have a you know, short, breezy chat about uh, Ward. Yeah, okay. Uh, whatever keeps us from talking about that murder I did. But wait, what? Ward! This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of damning silences, neck-stabbing, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we are continuing our journey through Arc 12 Heavens with Chapter 12.E and 12.3. First up, we finally get back to that damn dream room we've been looking forward to for a while, Matt, with Love Lost's interlude. And then Victoria almost dies and then calls people a lot of mean names until she convinces Prancer and Moose that she's really cool and they should help her. Matt, what did you think about these two chapters? <laughs> yeah, Victoria's just real, real mean, just real mad at people, real yeah. mad at people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish I had I wish I had said last week that I predicted I predicted that it would be a Love Lost interlude and i predicted that, that it would have a weird backwards letter attached to it um but i didn't say this to anyone it was just in my head so i get no credit for it which is yeah. always the saddest thing well especially since um, we recorded on wednesday last week so the you had definitely well, read the chapter yes. already so that would have been meaningless it would have been a meaningless yes <laughs> but anyway i loved the love lost interlude um i, ha I have a lot to say about the victoria chapter um, I, I, it's doing a lot of really interesting things and it's, it's just really fun and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. We, I mean, there's the love loss chapter is something I think we've been looking forward to for a long time and it does not disappoint. Um, I have less to say about that, the Victoria chapter this week. Um, I think you're probably going to do most of the talking in that conversation, which is different than usual, I think. Um, but I, I still enjoyed the fighting a lot. Um, and yeah, let's just do it. Let's not waste any time. Let's not cool. take 10 minutes on this or anything. No, let's do some... Uh, you, you had an announcement, I think, first. Yeah, so we talked last week about the our, our fun little uh, bracket game that we're calling March's Madness to go along with the NCAA tournament next month. Um, and we talked about how we, we basically announced it. And after like trying to get it down, like trying to start to work down to an actual bracket, we kind of realized that doing this for both books in the series is ridiculous and there's no way we can do it like it's gonna be hard enough to get 64 characters just with one of the books so this year the bracket is just gonna be worm characters um, my goal is to have the bracket done and the voting started by friday the first that's pretty ambitious gonna realistically say monday my my secret goal is friday that i'm just telling everyone about um <laughs> but the realistic goal is monday all right that's how, yeah, that's how I like to motivate myself. Yeah. And so, so we'll let you guys know about all that. We'll 
post if you want to look out for when that bracket's going to appear and when the voting and stuff is going to appear make sure you follow our account on twitter at got and you'll know when that stuff happens yeah um also announcement uh we dropped an episode of uh we've got weaver dice vegas oh yeah we did that we did we, we and um pretty happy with how that one turned out everybody's seems to like it that's episode six so you know it's like a real show now i feel yeah. like episode six is like it means it's like really happening you know yeah that's kind of, i think that's like when we when we were talking about like bringing new shows into the network we're like six episodes was about the point where you're we like okay you've done six episodes you've proven you're a real show now now you come on in um, <laughs> yeah right it only took us like a year or so yeah yeah anyway I think the goal we've said this like we said this literally every time we've released a new episode, but the goal is to really get down to a biweekly schedule with that. Um, we'll see. But that's like I think we're pretty committed to trying that this time. And it just uh, maybe shorter yeah. episodes. This was a long one. It was two and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. One thought is shorter episodes, maybe maybe breaking up a given recording session into a couple episodes if necessary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll we'll experiment with it. I'm I'm, I'm kind of happy with where with with what it is and where it's going. I just want it to be more often, and I think so do you guys. And we'll try to get there. Yeah, I agree. All right, Scott, let's get into the chapters. All right, we begin with twelve dot e. E, Matt, that's yeah, e- interesting. Interesting, and we'll have to figure out at the end of the arc what exactly that means. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of theories going around. Um, people think it's going to spell something, and they have some ideas about what it's going to spell. Um, the thing about that is it's rule three. You need, you need three to start to understand what the pattern there is. So yeah, I we'll mean, my, see. my thought is just, it's messing with time. And so it's messing with the order of things, messing it's with the structure of things. Together. Yeah. I don't yeah. think the thing is, I don't think dot E has ever been used. Dot I, uh, ever. Maybe interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. I don't know. That okay. might not be true. Well, <laughs> we'll check on that later, everyone. Um, so this chapter begins where Love Lost kind of lives her life, the past. She's in a concrete interrogation room with a monster in the corner of the room. Yeah, the the, the opening paragraph of um, this this whole chapter, I think, is one of those ones that's like really important. We're introduced to the suspect in this interrogation room. And, and before we even really understand what's going on, uh, we've labeled them a monster. It's going to be like pages, pages in this chapter, relative pages. It's online, but you know what I mean? Before we find out, you know, who, what this monster did to be labeled a monster. But this one thing makes it very clear from the jump, from the very start of this chapter that love lost has already made up her mind. Um, and I, and I love how the text like subtly reinforces this. The monster isn't just sitting in the chair. It's it's perched on the chair. Right. Um, the chair creaks every time they move like this is like audible and and uh, textual clues as to support the idea of of calling this this person a monster. Yeah. And I think there's a subtext to it where we're learning about this character. It's not just that Love Lost is has made up her mind about this person. It's. This is how she sees the world. This is how yeah. she sees people. There there are monsters. This isn't even a, a young woman. This is a monster. And she deals with a lot of them. She's dealt with so many of them that at this point, it's not even that, you know, uh, out of the ordinary for her. Right. And uh, and, and she's, she's going to deal with it, you know. Um, it's interesting, you know, kind of the, the description of this environment. So, like, 
basically they're on the unexpected side of the one-way mirror. They're on like the side that you can see through and like the actual interrogation room behind the mirror uh, it has a, a woman talking to multiple officer, uh, officers. Um, so basically it's, it's an interesting setup where they're, they're showing the monster, like the damage that she has caused in an attempt to get under her skin, I guess. Um, so Nick, which is love lost name, uh, is interrogating the, you know, the real suspect, the monster, uh, whose name is Jen. Um, but of course that's not how they're framing it to her. I think framing it is a really good an apt word to talk about this whole thing, because I think we had to talk about how the scene is framed. You're, you're absolutely right that, um, this is, this is different. This is weird. Like the, the room with the reflective glass where you could see your reflection is not the one that these characters are in. They're on the other side. Um, that is significant here. We have a character in love lost who, um, is kind of blind to her own actions, blind to the person she's becoming, almost unable to see her reflection. Um, and, and we kind of established that in this, this early scene where she's on the other side of the glass. She's, she's not in that room. And, and the, the, the idea of the monster is not the one you think it is, right? Like, like, like it just so happens that this gen person in, in this case did actually do the, the, the terrible thing that she's being accused of. But we're kind of playing with this idea of, like where where is the monster? Where is the suspect? Where is the the actual interrogation going down? Like everything shifted, everything's different, and we're we're playing with this and establishing this early on in the chapter, and we're going to use this kind of imagery and this kind of confusion um, to pay off, you know, throughout the chapter, but explicitly at the end. Yeah, and there's multiple structural elements in this chapter that recur and echo each other between the two, you know, the past and the present storylines. Yeah, and this is the first note of that. Um, basically at the very start of it. Uh, so the suspect says that she won't say anything without a lawyer, uh, but she doesn't actually ask for a lawyer, so they don't get her one. Yeah, the delicious technicalities. Mwah. Yeah, the things that, that cops love to use. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Nicole's partner, Doug, tries to soften up the suspect uh, using the good cop routine. Nicole, acting mostly on instinct, leaves the room to go on a self-appointed mission. She fabricates some evidence, working on a guess that Jen tampered with her brother's medication, and then she brings her own pills uh, for her own anemia as a prop. She fakes a letter from the victim, uh, everything puts everything together, and then brings it to her partner in the interrogation room. So I don't really want us to dive into like a super political conversation about the ethics of detective interrogation techniques and the modern day criminal justice system. Um, I know there are people out there that have very strong opinions about that. We've talked about this a lot in the doof discord. Um, what I think matters here is that the story is painting us a picture of who love lost is, um, someone who was willing to wade into questionable behavior when she feels that that behavior is justified against a person that she has labeled and decided is a monster. Um, importantly, Nicole is right here, right? Like the, it, Jen is guilty. Like we established that the person that she has convinced herself is a monster is guilty of the crime she thought she was guilty of. And, 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 and through that we're establishing, Hey, love lost is pretty good at her job. Actually. Like she's, we say she's observant. She notices things like she caught the writing, um, by the kid and she, you know, was able to make a mental leap that it was probably something through medication and that kind of stuff. Are her techniques questionable? 
Yeah. Are they illegal? <laughs> that's a that's a that's a gray line, right? Um, but we're seeing a person who's willing to to walk up to that line. Um, we're seeing a person that they don't like really act independently because I think importantly throughout the scene, we see she goes to the chief, right? She goes to her boss with the stuff and basically gets like permission before she does this. So she's not like operating on her own here. Um, he approves of, of, of her method methodology here. Um, so we're establishing her as this, this person that is willing to, to skirt that line, to go up to it, to, to kind of play with this idea of going into inappropriate behavior, um, but, but is not like fully there yet. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. She's, she's pushing it. Right. She, she's yeah. basically the way I view it is we're establishing her as a character who is willing to go to unusual lengths to get what she wants, especially when she feels like she is stopping a monster. Yep. She, she can justify quite a lot when she feels like she's trying to stop a monster and like basically, you know, we're going to see in a second, like all of her kind of cop friends, like think she's great. Right. Like, and, yeah. and she, she has this hard driving aggressive. Um, she's basically consumed by the job, which does make her very effective at it, but makes her miserable. And it also means that she is, like you said, writing the line of propriety in, in many cases. Yeah. So, there's this bit here where she's um, she's in the room with the with the suspect and she's she's thinking she could have pressed applied even more pressure and it would have worked. But if she'd pressed, she might have screamed or shouted or said something regrettable. She didn't trust herself. Silence is damning. Silence can tell just as much. So here's another one of those elements of of structural, you know, recurring, repeating itself or yep. reflecting. So here's Love Lost, the character who can't speak without losing it, and she can't trust herself to speak. And in this in this case, she's using it as a as a well, that's fine because silence is damning, and I can get just as much out of this person through through her silence. Yeah. But but the the, the line silence is damning is is perfect because later in the chapter we're going to see Love Lost be silent when she should speak up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's wonderful how it kind of flips that whole idea on its head, right? Um, we, we were talking last week during the reading of the discussion questions how so many people talked about one of their favorite structural things is what Wildbow does in interludes. And one of the things people were talking about was this idea of using interlude as kind of its own mini story um, with its own kind of structural, um, I'm not going to call it um, gimmicks, but... Um, rhyming and we already talked about how the the geography of the locations at the beginning and end of this chapter rhyme off each other but this idea of silence this idea of the damning nature of silence is a recurring beat that that goes throughout this entire story and the meaning of it shifts as love lost shifts as a human being and and becomes less of a human being and i think that's such a great through line um it's such a great way to like grab onto this idea of silence as damning and use that as like a, a a window into the change of the character as that as that meaning changes as she does yeah yeah i love that uh so the woman uh jen basically the what what she did is she told her disabled brother to kill himself that was that was why he's here or that that was why she's here that, yep. that's what was the crime um and i pretty much immediately thought somebody telling uh, a, a monster specifically a monster telling someone to kill themselves 
Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Sound like any other monster we know? Who is it, Matt? Who does it sound like? It's cr- sounds like Cradle telling telling Rain, kill yourself. Yep. Kill yourself. Over Come and on. over and over again. Yep. Yep. I love I love this. I'm so glad you pulled it out and made that link because it, it works so, so perfectly. This idea of um, she sees this person as a as a, um, an unforgivable monster, not even a human being anymore, a monster. And we need to do whatever we can to make sure she sees justice. And all the while we know she's allied herself with the person that does that that exact same thing that, that did that exact same thing. And the thing I love about this is even if you make this connection in real time as you're reading, like even if you're reading along and like, I think you did, I think you made that connection immediately. You read that line and then said, Oh yeah, that's like cradle. I don't, I don't think like the full extent of, of cradle, um, who cradle is and, and the terribleness of him and, and the deception that he's pulling off doesn't become clear till the end. And this like starts pushing you towards a hint of that, but it doesn't like, it doesn't ruin it too. It's not like that moment is ruined because you immediately made this connection that Wildo is trying to get you to make here. I think this is a very intentional link that the story is wanting us to make between these two moments. And it, it works in that you enjoy it in the moment and, and see her like the inherent contradiction of love loss as a person who's like hypocritical like crazy but it doesn't ruin the twist the twist at the end right because you already know love loss uh, sorry you you already know cradle is a monster you just don't know quite uh that he's full bore monster i guess um if that makes sense well i mean you i think he's chopping people up i think we know he's a monster i just think like the she doesn't see him that way and we're getting yeah. like she doesn't see him that way she doesn't see him as a monster he's he's the ally um that's helping her and she's okay with it and it's it's the, the hypocrisy i mean we're 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 showing how hypocritical she are yeah i guess that's a better way of phrasing it like we we we, we the reader do know that but yeah. she hasn't seen the evidence that um that he's basically just doing this for his own reasons yeah well and so, and she conveniently uh, looks away or explains away or denies, denies, denies anything that gets really bad. Cause that's what she does. And we'll see that explicitly later in the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So Nick, uh, internally laments that none of the people that she takes care of, uh, in her, in the course of her job ever end up triggering and saving themselves. Yeah. That's a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I think we, we, the reader understand the, uh, the plight of parahumans enough to know that the idea of, I wish these people would, get powers is not something you would ever actually want to wish on someone. And so it's, again, it's, it's this, like this coded language that, that I think we're, we're establishing a certain level of ignorance in love lost here that she just doesn't fully comprehend the terribleness of being a cape. Yeah. Especially since this is several years ago, right? Right. Like where, where Seven, it, I think, it, yeah. it, it may have been much less obvious, uh, how fucked up capes are. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like that's so you're exactly right that that on the one hand, it's it's indicating that she's has a little bit of an overly simplistic view of how this works. But also this is a setup for her getting her wish in a sense later on. Yep. Yep. When cult triggers. Yeah. Yep. So uh, she starts drinking at work to congratulate herself um, at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, it's a drinking problem, right? Like, yeah, I, it, yeah. I don't like. 
I'm very uncomfortable with labels, like with like going full out and saying love lost is an alcoholic. Um, but if she's not a functioning alcoholic, she's very close. Right. I think drinking at work, drinking that as heavily as she is after work to the point where she seems like she needs it. She, if she's not, if she doesn't have the disease, she's almost there. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my understanding is definitely if you're drinking at work or in a context where you shouldn't be drinking, that's a that's a big red flag and also just drinking to get drunk regularly yeah um full stop is another you know major sign of it yeah yeah i agree with that and i love i love what this is doing because we're we're painting a picture of this character and she's a character who's good at her job even if she does sketchy things to get there she's a character who is depressed who uh, has a has a disease um who has all these flaws, right? Like she's very human. Like she, she's, she wants to do good. She's feeling defeated and downtrodden by the world. There's, there's parts of her that are familiar to some of, of Victoria we've seen in the past. This idea of like being so destroyed by the fact that no matter what you do, you're not making a dent. You're not solving a problem. There's always going to be more monsters out there. There's, oh, you can't, you can't get them all. And, and how that is, that is destroying you on the inside. Um, and, and so we're, we're, we're painting a picture of this person and, um, and, and we're seeing all her flaws and, and, and we're seeing how, like how a person with these, these kind of flaws can go down a road to become the person we know she is in the present day. Mm. And it, it's like, it's, it's like, I don't like, I'm not, she's not a good person person she's not a bad person at this point i think she's just a human being with a lot of flaws and we see how how you become a bad person from those flaws right i i think from the moment we found out that love lost was a former detective which was quite a while ago story-wise yeah i was really excited to learn more about this because that's just an intrinsically interesting idea to me like a, a detective is already a kind of modern superhero like that's like we we have whole genres of of storytelling that are just about detectives sure, and, yeah. and how awesome they are and, and, and what they do. And their, their lives are already so dramatic that we just tell fiction that is just the, what, like what detectives do. Yeah. Um, so having a detective, you know, break bad and become a Cape, uh, just is like an intrinsically interesting story premise. And, and, and it makes you very curious. How is that going to happen? What is, you know, what, what pushes her over the line? And, and it's more complicated than well, her her daughter was killed in a terrorist attack. Right. Yeah. She was already kind of on this road in a sense where she's she's already having just a really rough time with her life years years before um, yeah. she loses her daughter, and and that is what pushes her over the edge um, into into villainy and and being willing to to hurt people and not feel bad about it. Um, yeah. I mean, but, you ca- yeah. you kind of wonder what her life would have looked like had she not triggered right like yes she's still like if her daughter had survived if they weren't at the mall that day you kind of still feel like she was in some sense spiraling still Um, yeah and and i mean like we we've got we've gotten little glimpses of her you know right before gold morning and with her daughter and and it's just like it's just her i don't think i don't think we see her quit like she doesn't quit right like yeah, that's something that I always wasn't sure of is, is, is she working as a cop uh, on Gimmel? You know, I, I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, we, we don't know. Maybe not. Um, but yeah, it's just you're absolutely right. And I think the cool, the thing that I like so much about it is like. If we wanted to make her a 
unquestionably bad character like before her trigger that could have happened right like there's very easy ways to make a cop like bad like she 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 did some shady stuff with evidence and like manipulation and some some weird interrogation tactics that i'm not 100 percent comfortable with because they can lead to false confessions and stuff like that but if the book wanted her to be like bad, like she could have literally planted evidence or she could have gotten someone to confess, gotten an innocent confession, right? Like she could have sent someone to jail that didn't do something, but that's not what the book chooses to show us. The book chooses to show us a person who um, is willing to skirt the line, is willing to kind of buck against what is, what should be good um, in the, in the efforts of doing something that she feels is right. And yeah. that to me is so much more intrinsically interesting than a uh, bad cop goes badder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I, I even think that there's a bit of um, re- referencing to Victoria when she, you know, she checks with the, with the boss before she does her little evidence switcheroo hmm, yeah. uh, because Victoria is all about checking with the authorities and, you know, g- getting the sign off before she goes ahead with things, basically just touching base with other people to check that what she's thinking isn't, you know, a dumb idea. Um, and, and we see her doing this here. Yeah. 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 I like so that. there's a, there's a lot of like fatalism in, in her, um, at, at this point. And, and I think it pretty much stays with her. So like, she's thinking there was no beating the bad guys. There was no defeating them. A monster had encouraged a little boy to kill himself and he tried. Now he hurt more than ever. What was she supposed to do in the face of that? I, I, I love, I love this. Like, it's, it's so sad and so depressing, but it is a window into her helplessness. Um, she's this broken, kind of shitty person, but the story wants you to know why she is that way. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be a detective in a world with capes, right? Like, I mean, this is something the book doesn't really cover, but just the idea of, like, how do you investigate crimes when people can like teleport shit or like walk through walls or like, like how, how hard is it? How much harder does it become to investigate crimes? Like, I'm sure there are, you know, parahuman investigation groups that'll come in and help if it's something cape related, but sometimes how do you know? Right? Like it's just, it's like dead person in the room, try to collect evidence. Oh wait, there's no fingerprints. Cause this person didn't have fingers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that, that, that's true. Um, so I like that we transition directly from that line about like, you know, what, what is she supposed to do in the face of literally the last line? What what was she supposed to do in the face of that? And then <laughs> and then the next the next scene uh, is she's talking to Cradle face to face. Yeah. And he's the real monster, of course. Um, and also carried across this transition, her jaw is still clenched like it was before back in. Back in the past, she, she had this thing where her jaw was always clenched so much that it hurt. Um, but uh, now it's much more clenched because because of power-related reasons. Um, so uh, unlike the previous monster, though, she doesn't know what Cradle is. And in, instead of fighting him, she's handing over her traps to him instead of setting them to catch him. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, love, I love the way you said that. Like, I, I love the way this transitions and it is, it is so clever, right? Like it, it is like, it's kind of on the nose, but in the best way, it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, how, how am I supposed to face that? And then like cut to 
like I can imagine the scene where it's like cut to just her looking right at him. Right. Yeah. Um, like cut to how am I supposed to how am I supposed to stop this? Well, I'm going to just join it. Actually, that's what I'm going to do. Right. And that's the inherent contradiction at the core of her. Right. Her, her hopelessness has led to become her become the exact kind of person she used to hate. She used to call a monster and she can't see it or she won't see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like that, you know, we're, we're basically backpedaling some of the bad stuff that we believed about her last time. So like, uh, you know, she, she had been working on the claw whip, but she hadn't finished it. And she notes that like she had been intention, basically implied to be intentionally procrastinating on her, on her claw lash so that, because like she just didn't want to actually have to do that. Um, so it, it's like the thing rain was mad at her about last time. She wasn't actually going to do that. Yeah. But it's like, look, <laughs> her, her justifications for things are so fascinating to me because like, yes, you get credit for like being uncomfortable with doing this one thing, but I love that she phrases it as procrastinating. Like she's not actively not going to do it. She's just right. like pushing it off. And it, and it's like, her internal monologue is framing it that way. It, it's not, it's not her allowing herself to think about why she doesn't want to do this. It's not her allowing herself to come to the grips that, of this is bad. Doing this is bad. No, I'm just gonna, I'll just, uh, I'll just work on something else. I just won't, I'll just push it off and procrastinate. And it's like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's just yeah. like, it's, it's this idea that like, I'm just going to look a different way or look or focus on something else or worry about something else. And then it, it's, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's fine. Yeah. Right. I mean, she's basically, especially in the present timeline, she's stuck in this constant like loop of trauma and she's like never able to actually let go of it f at all. Like, like right. she, I mean, I mean, I, I guess it's, definitely worth pointing out and maybe we're going to talk about it more in a second but it's just like she, she the reason she has to wear the mask is that she will just like start screaming incoherently whenever she takes it off basically and it's like it's not that's not even like really a parahuman thing it's like she's 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 lost it like i mean is that your interpretation that it it it's not that she's worried that she's going to like accidentally fire off her power it's that she she is so like traumatized by that event that even the thought of like the sound of her own voice stirs up that trauma again. Yeah. I mean, like I think her whole, her, her voice, her mouth, her speaking is the thing that is linked through her power to that traumatic event. Right. So it's like, it's like the focal point of it all. Like it all comes through that one thing. It all comes through that one that's the avenue to to the trauma that's the avenue to her power it's, it's everything so yeah i mean it, it is not just powers related it is just because that that is like that's the core of her trauma is yeah this this idea her voice her yelling her uncontrollable anger in these moments and how that's the reason that's why um it, it all it all comes through that and yeah. and and yeah that is manifested in her in how we see her you know, without this mask on as like super un like barely being able to keep it together every right. little bit, every little sound. Yeah. Yeah. So the two of them, uh, her and Cray look over March's schedule and timing. Um, I like that because it's not like March's plans. It's March's schedule and timing <laughs> yeah. because it's March. Um, 
which are which are all built around exploiting weaknesses of other people. Uh, for example, Tattletale. Yeah, which which does a good job to explain how uh, Tattletale failed to detect the mercenary betrayal. Right? It's like they just observed her enough to know when she was weak or not using her power, and were able to plan around that. It's just yeah. just a cool little explanation to tie that that loose end up. I like that. Yeah. True. True. So Cradle asks if she has any complaints, and though she does, she can't bring herself to articulate them. Uh, instead, she just pulls out images of Rain, Seer, and the Matherses um, as if to speak for her. <laughs> and yeah, so this is our second beat of like the, the idea of silence, right? She's in this self-imposed silence, she says, um, because she's afraid of what she would say, and also because, again, her voice is linked not only through her power, but through her mental block to this trauma. Um, but this is like, I, I, I hate this. I mean, I love <laughs> this, but it just, it just frustrates the hell out of me because like, again, she says her, her internal monologue says that, yeah, she does have complaints and she wants to speak up about them, but she can't, but her internal monologue doesn't actually ever spell out those complaints, right? It's like, she's like, yeah, it's some vague nebulous way. I have complaints about this, but she like can't articulate them verbally, but also mentally, like in her own mind's eye, she cannot articulate the thing she's uncomfortable with because that would mean she has, has to face them. And in this moment where she's feeling uncomfortable, like where she's thinking about this idea that she's uncomfortable with this stuff, what does she do? She pulls out pictures of the monsters that she hates and she says, what about these? What about these guys? Yeah. As if to say, as long as you convince me that we're still working towards taking these monsters out, I'm good. Anything you want to do, I'm good. Yeah. Right. That was exactly how I interpreted it. Right. Like she's, she's not, she's not saying yes or no. She's just saying like, almost like what complaints could I have in the face of, you know, our need to take, to, to take these guys down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like what, what would my complaints matter as long as, as long as this is our goal. Yep. Um, and that, that is, that is the central, that is the core of love loss as a character is these guys are monsters. As long as I believe that they're monsters, it doesn't matter what I do as long as it's working towards them. Yeah. Because yeah. we've already, and I mean, we're going to see she's a, like, we've talked about her as a person who skirts up to the line and we're going to see later in this chapter that someone was like systematically altering her to make detecting that line harder. Um, and that's kind of why she goes down the path, but she like, that's kind of the whole, you know, you still have to walk through the door that someone leads you up to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I mean, for example, you know, speaking of convincing herself of things, there's this bit here where she's looking at like the pictures on the, on the display. She saw the navigators. She looked away, had to be done. If anything, they could have, should have done more. They hadn't expected advanced guard to be as capable as they were. The shepherds had rebuffed the initial attack. So, like on the first read through, you're thinking like, "Oh, wow, she's she's pretty horrible." Like she she thinks that they should have butchered even more people. Um, but then, like later in context of the lie, like you realize Cradle has told her this lie. Like, oh no, the reason why we're gonna cut all these people up is so that they're out of commission. Um, when March does her thing so that they're not actually going to be her and then we'll, then we'll, re you know, reverse the damage later. Yeah. So, so is she, is she thinking we should have done more because that's her justification? Yeah. 
I mean, like the thing about Cradle's lie is I don't know if she ever really believed it. <laughs> um, I think she it's one of those things where she convinced herself of it because uh-huh. it helped her towards her goal. Um, th- this idea of hiding the truth and, and verbalizing the lie is is where she's comfortable. So, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think she was very willing to accept what Cradle told her as the God's honest truth, as long as um, that led to the thing that she wanted, which was to get back at the mo- to, to bring the monsters she hates to justice. Right. I think it was more like she was avoiding thinking about it. Yeah. Because even here, she, she saw the navigator. She looked away, which, which is sort of shorthand for. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. I Yeah. Yeah. I literally. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's like it's just nope. Yeah. Nope. So after Cradle leaves, she briefly takes off her mask to adjust it, and she's almost overwhelmed by surges of strong emotion and intrusive memories of her daughter's death. Yeah, and this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, I love the writing of this part, too, because the memory came with pain, as sure as if she'd been stabbed, not through the heart, but through the base of the throat, the point where the wimpite branched to transmit air to each lung. It choked her. So I love this as just like like symbolic. We were talking about how the, the central source of her um, of her trauma, of her power, of her pain is her voice is, you know, the sound coming out of her throat. So the trauma attacks her, not in, in the heart. It, that's not where it hurts. It hits in the windpipe. It hits in the place where that sound, where that voice comes from. I just that's so it's such, it's good imagery and it just ties in perfectly to everything that we've been talking about her, you know, with her power and with who she was as a person before that. I just I really like it. I love that, too. And I feel like this is a forte of Welbo's is, is the ability to convey emotional states. Full stop. But 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 primarily like here, this example where it's painting where in the body the emotion is being felt and that that's yeah. such a that's such a better way of of making you understand what this emotion is like to, to me at least right um because because emotions are very much embodied and I, and i feel like that's an under appreciated uh aspect of writing is is pointing out that emotions aren't in your head emotions are, are actually in your body you you feel them um so yeah. yeah that's that's great i love that well and and i mean writer shorthand is so often like you feel the pain in your heart. And and there yeah. is, I mean, there is a certain, there, that is true to a certain extent. The reason why that has become a writerly shorthand is because sometimes you do feel pain in your heart when you are, when you are going through something particularly terrible, you feel it here. Um, but that's not enough for this character, right? It's more specific. It's more focused. It's, it's more zoomed into a particular part of her, her personality, her character, her power, all this stuff comes together. Yeah. And it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, so she reveals that she's actually modified her claw gloves, like the inside of them, so that not only do they have like an offensive application, but also she can synthesize like the tactile presence of her daughter. Um, so there's like phantom hair and the touch of skin and phantom hands. Um, and she kind of like has this moment where she kind of lets herself think maybe on some level that she's like touching her daughter's you know, skin. Um, and then she, she compares herself to heroes in, in the pact universe, um, <laughs> trying, trying to sort of make this connection with her daughter. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a fun little throwaway reference for you guys that have read pact, but it also works for a person like me who hasn't read pact. Like sometimes like you want to throw your Easter eggs in for people that have read other stuff, but 
if it loses meaning in the story itself, then it's bad. Like I would, if, if I didn't get what, what Wabo was trying to convey here, I would have to say this doesn't work because I haven't read that story. But the point here is this idea of, um, those people in that story, they worked with monsters for the greater good. And they were the heroes. They were the heroes. Um, yeah. So that means that means I'm, I'm hey. still a hero, right? right? I'm the hero in this story. That is who I am. And yeah, I'm working with the monsters for a bit, but it's for justice. It's for yeah. the greater good. Yeah, and, and in just a minute, we'll see what her end game is with with the uh, working with the monsters uh, uh, program. Um, <laughs> so she improved her mask apparently to channel her motion power. So now she's able to sense things more accurately at greater distances. So right now she goes downstairs and she overhears side piece basically trying to tell Colt that she should just bail. Um, and Colt doesn't have the conviction to argue with her. And she thinks silence silence was ever damning whether it was damning others or damning oneself um which is great writing and yeah. kind of like ties together the the old love lost and the new and the differences between the two mm -hmm. um and so we see pretty much as my theory as to kind of how these powers work predicts colt is absolutely paralyzed with indecision now like like permanently basically like this child she that's how she is now like uh, everything she says is like a but or a, should i get a second opinion yeah yeah this i mean i, I think this is like low-key one of the most important parts of this whole chapter and i think it kind of ties together a lot of the overall thematic stuff that i wanted to talk about today because side piece is basically making this argument to her that she's got to figure herself out because we deal with our we're all capes all of us have horrible shit and we deal with all of our horrible shit by ourselves. Yeah, sometimes we team up with other people. Sometimes we work with them. But at the end of the day, we're by ourselves. We're dealing with our own shit by ourselves. That's what we have to do. And I think this is designed to jump out at you, right? I think I think at this point in the reading, we've just had the last few chapters of the story being focused on Victoria and Breakthrough and her team and all these teams leaning on each other, supporting each other in battle. Yes, but not just in battle. The end of arc 11 was all about Victoria helping everyone, all about Victoria reaching out and supporting these people and, and showing them that they are not alone in their dealing of this horrible shit. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's this, these main characters in the story breakthrough as a team is all about this idea of group therapy, right? That's where they started. That's why they wanted to get together. This idea of you're not alone with your own shit. You have other people, you have support. And that, is the difference between the bad guys and the good guys in the story, right? And I don't mean like bad, I, I mean like actual, I don't mean like hero and villain classification nonsense. I mean like the actual bad guys and good guys. Because the good guys, the people that are getting better and the people that want to get better are leaning on each other, are supporting each other, are asking each other for help, are not trying to deal with their shit by themselves. And the people that are stuck, that are getting worse or staying the same, those are the people that aren't doing that. Those are the people that are trying to handle this stuff all alone by themselves. And that's love lost. We're going to see when we jump back to the past again, when she's sitting in the bar, that is her. That's what she does. She tries yeah. to deal with it herself. Yeah. She doesn't really trust anyone or reach out to anyone. She just implodes. Yeah. And there's this one part that I love 
because I think it says a little bit about Disjoint that I think is going to be really interesting. I can't wait to see more of Disjoint um, because we have Colt talking and she says, sometimes when you're dealing with your shit, you're dealing with it alone, you lose. And then her voice falters. And who who jumps in with some some words? Disjoint, who says perspective. And then uh, side piece takes it away and starts ranting about it and says, um, and, and it's like basically says, no, that's stupid. That's bullshit. But we, we have disjoint as this guy who like kind of like like side piece, but doesn't really fit. And I wonder if he's a person that like doesn't really buy into this whole you have to deal with your shit alone thing. You know, like we kind of in in side pieces interlude, we kind of painted him as a person who's not quite like her in some ways, um, who's a little different and maybe doesn't fit into this terrible, terrible group as much. Um, yeah. And I wonder if we're like kind of hinting towards that. Yeah, I, I think he seems like a more thoughtful fella. Um, also, I like that the guy who can take his eyes out and look at himself from a distance is the guy who thinks the perspective is a good solution. Yeah, I, that's that's true, too. I like that. Um, so as you know, as uh, as Love Lost is is uh, eavesdropping on this, she sees Nailbiter and we come to understand her feelings, not only for uh, Nailbiter, but for all of her underlings. Basically, she thinks they're trash degenerates representations of a path that she won't let herself take and she seems like she's just planning to murder all of them yep just another justification for why what she's doing is a-okay no it's okay to work with monsters because i'm gonna kill them afterwards yeah that's fine yeah after i'm done with them yeah yeah Yeah. um the thing i I, these justifications are so shitty and thin right it's great and it's not because i don't think it's not because like i'm saying the writing is not doing a good job of selling love lost justifications i think the writing is doing a great job of selling how shitty love lost is at justifying her behavior like (laughs) i I think that's very intentional like we know wildbo can write a character that's super good at, at, at good at convincing themselves that everything is fine we saw that last book um love lost is not that person and 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 it just like on some level she knows the stuff is bad but she's choosing to overlook that. She hasn't like she hasn't like convinced herself that what she's doing is actually good. She's just ignoring that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think in the moment of reading that, uh, I sort of took it at face value that she was she was actually planning on murdering her whole crew. But I'm like, sure she is. But well, well on, on some level she is. But also like she, I don't think she could pull it off. Like I, I don't think she has the the cold bloodedness necessary to 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 just kill these people who she spent time with much less, you know, like, yeah, she's sort of been tangentially involved with the whole using the energy whip thing, but she at least had a, had a, had a justification for that. This is just like, I'm going to kill these people who trust me. And that's, that's like a, that's not a thing that a human can really get themselves to do unless they're already (laughs) like a psychopath. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think she believes, I think you're right that she believes that that is what she is going to do. But I think on some level, she probably knows that she's probably not actually capable of doing that. Yeah, I think that's right. But we do get this this little beat this that is working towards setting up our big reveal at the end of the chapter. Uh, it gets easier every day. It gets it, she's there's she has less warmth. It gets a little bit easier. She's a, little, a less emotional attachment to um, to these bad things she's doing to other people. Just a little a little bit every day. It's just a little easier. Wonder why that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nailbiter, who understood her because they were very similar people at different points in their journeys, gave her the slightest nod. I, I love that because it's 
it's her admitting that her and Nailbiter are, se- are the same, but she just painted Nailbiter as a monster before, right? She just like said, yeah. oh, these these Nailbiter is terrible. Nailbiter is a version of herself that went too far. And she's like right. willing willing to label her that, but is unable to see that, hey, um, you're, that's exactly where you're heading. And she yeah. almost seems to know that. Like they're on different points in her journey. Like it, she's saying, she's not saying like we're on different journeys. We're just on different points on the same journey. As, as if to imply, I'm going to get there. Yeah. Where she's like, I keep her around to remind me not to go too far. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's not working. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so back in the past again, Nick gets good and drunk at the bar after work. She justifies her drinking and her not going home as stemming from wanting to keep from bringing home the darkness and ugliness with her. And she almost breaks down right there at the bar talking about how ever uh now isn't even surprised when her mom loses her shit for no reason um but uh, the boys arrive before she can uh, have a good cry about it yeah so i want to talk about the structure of this chapter a little bit because we're, we're doing this cut back and forth in time right and uh this is something we do a lot in this story the, the, especially in these these character focus interludes and we're zooming in on one particular character we do like a cut back and forth so it's not like a new thing but i do like what it does because this section was put here after the section with side piece and Colt talking about this idea of reaching out, of getting perspective, of getting help, of of not being alone versus, yes, being alone. And then we cut to Nicole sitting at a bar, dealing with her problems alone. And she's so she's so fucking close, Matt. Like you feel like the bartender is actually like getting to her on a certain extent, like she's actually kind of reaching out in in her own way in that she's actually like being honest with both herself and this other person and getting their perspective on things. And it's like the bartender's like, just quit, just quit your job. And you're like, you just feel like she's maybe like this close to actually like learning something and, and saying that, yeah, maybe, maybe I should do that. And then the boys come. Yeah. And, and ruin it. Yeah. I love that. I love that the bartender says that because that's one of those things where like, if, if if you if you think of the of a solution to the character's problem, which is quit, don't do this anymore, and the character never thinks of it, that's actually frustrating. Mm-hmm. But if someone suggests it to the character and then they blow it off, then at least it was addressed in the story, right? Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, I I think like there was no way she was going to quit here because like yeah, it makes her miserable, but like in her in her world she can't just not do it like that, 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 that doesn't solve the problem because then the monsters are still out there. Yeah. That, that's her mentality about it. Yep. And, and that's kind of what the boys do and they reinforce that idea Yeah, because in this moment of actual honesty, in this moment of weakness where she's admitting her problems to someone else and they're giving her advice and she might start to be listening to this advice, they show up and they talk her up and they tell her how great she is. They tell her she's the best one we've got. She's like, there's no detective that's as good as her. She's putting all these bad people away. I think like it is not incidental that they're talking to her and of her in a similar manner that side piece talks about her, right? Like side piece is a person in this party that like is very, pro love lost and like think she's like a really great boss and like really great at leading this group and like constantly talks her up. Um, I I don't think that's an accident, but, um, anyway, they, they basically serve to, to pull her back. Like she was almost maybe, maybe starting to consider that. And then, and then she says, 
as shitty as as the bad got, she could feel good about the successes, about being appreciated. Doug's praise felt genuine. It felt good. I'm not quitting, she said, absorbing it all. No quit. Don't worry. And you're just like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that comparison you drew with uh, Side Piece because, yeah, she's got like, enabler is not quite the right word, actually. It's more like just a, a force that, that that encourages her to do the thing that she's she's afraid she should be doing. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really want to, but it makes her feel good. So, yeah, I, I like that. Well, yeah, and, and I think she says in her mind every single one of these people every single one of these monsters has a purpose. They have there. There's a reason why she's with them. And I, yeah. and I really do feel like side pieces role in this group to love lost is to be that person that talks her up yeah, and, and, and helps her um, come to terms, helps her focus on the successes of what she's doing and not the bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so eventually she gets home drunk and she checks on her daughter, but then she's rebuffed by her husband. Yeah, and then the section ends with her uh, saying once again that this is a lose-lose situation. Either she comes home directly from work and brings the day with her and thus therefore pushes her family away, or she stays out and gets drunk all night so she can, like, numb the bad, and then she gets home really late and then pushes her family away, and it's lose-lose. Except that's bullshit. <laughs> that's a false choice right like it, it, you do not have two options there are more options in there we saw one of them one of the other options is to quit is to quit the job that is an option but yeah. she won't do it she won't do it yeah yeah i mean and i think maybe we can connect that to what's happening now where uh in, in the present of the story she's yeah. she's narrowed things down to to what is she i don't know if she articulates it as a lose-lose but it's a situation where she's miserable either way actually yeah yeah well and then the section ends with talking about silence again the silence lingered in the bedroom damning that damning silence once again um yeah this time it's hers though right? yeah like this is like the first time it was her silence to punish someone else and then she admitted that sometimes your own silence damns you but she was projecting that that was on colt right it was colt's silence was damning her and this is a moment in which her own silence is damning herself. Right. We've, and, and which is kind of where we end up with her. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that we now see the fight against the heartbreak ciders from her perspective, um, starting at the point where Colt triggered. So when she realizes what has happened, she's very distressed because it's like Colt uh, has like exited the special protected class in which, <laughs> in which uh, Nick had previously assigned her. Yeah. It's, it's a great callback like you talked about before to that moment in the precinct where she wished victims got powers, right? Yeah. Um, well, here you go. Here's someone that you victimized and has been victimized and they got powers. Now, how does that make you feel? Nick, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Good, good. No. Yeah. yeah. She manages to never really think about it in those exact terms, but like she clearly is aware of what this represents. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes even worse when she shows up in the room later. Um, yeah like like it's it's a it's a rebuke to her whole view of of not to her view even to her just to her narrative of justifications like you think you're gonna get out of this horrible situation by like being more horrible up until a certain point is met and then you're gonna kill everyone and then you're yeah. gonna get out of it like no you're you're already doing collateral damage you've just done a permanent kind of collateral damage yeah. right now and like it makes sense that like her her first 
uh, I don't think we're quite there yet, but like her, her first impulse is, is like she wants to kill her. She wants to kill Colt yeah. for, for, for what she represents. It's like the, the, the spreading of the cancer. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to have a lot to say about that. Let's just, let's just get to it because yeah. I think there's so, a lot to say. So as they're fighting, she uses her rage scream and we see how terrible this power is to use. She relives all the worst emotions bundled up with her regrets, her tragedies, her failures, and she channels them into, her, into the power. The attack draws her enemies to throw themselves at her, and then she and her allies take advantage of their overaggression. Yeah, um, it's rough. It's rough. I like that she screams at the ground to like diffuse it, right? Like, yeah, she screams directly downwards, and it spreads out from there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, in kind of in the middle of the fight, Colt's like, "Hey, I've got uh, blades and an emotion power and a mobility power." Yeah, she's <laughs> like, "Oh fuck." Yeah, I did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it. And she wants to kill her. And but it's like a misfired impulse because it's 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 actually like she just didn't want this to happen. And she thinks horror because she wanted to tie up loose ends and end this. She was doing this for a reason. And Colt utterly defied that reason. Um, so basically what's happening here is trauma begets trauma. Right. And she get that she can't stand that. Yeah. The, I mean, the entire point is to is to eliminate the monsters not create them right right and she's yeah and yeah it's and and i, I love that her initial like gut reaction is kill it let's kill it yeah like i created this i i made this thing this it grew from me kill it yeah and i mean you can even say like she always wanted someone she always wanted one of her victims to trigger Right. And say that not I see I, I did a Freudian slip there. She always wanted one, <laughs> one of the victims that she was protecting, you know, one of the victims who she was advocating for. Yeah. And trying to, to help. She wanted them to trigger. And now it is one of her victims triggering. But in the opposite sense of the word. Yeah. It's it's someone who, who she put she put in this situation um, and she's responsible for it in, in the worst possible way. Yep. Um, and. And I have to get rid of it. I can't. I it, it it destroys my whole world worldview. It destroys my whole excuse system. Yeah. And it's right there in front of me, reminding me. And yeah. I we didn't talk about this, but like there is a moment here where she kind of admits to herself that like her trigger didn't count because she didn't want it. Like in this whole like I wish victims would get would get triggers. There's a, there's a moment here where she doesn't come right out and say it, but heavily implies that she wanted ever to be the one that triggered, right? Like she wanted uh -huh. in that situation, in that, that she wanted it to be her. And yeah. now that's basically happened is her like Colt is Colt's purpose in this group is to be ever, but not be ever right. Like she picks someone that's like entirely different from her daughter for a reason, but like she is like the, that she is and isn't that role simultaneously. Again, it's like the basic contradiction of love lost. Right. Yeah. And, and so the person that she wanted to trigger in that moment now has, and it's like, well, you got what you wished for kind of, and now, but it's your fault. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I and it's going to get even worse for her when, uh, this, they're in the room later, obviously. Yep. yep. So before this section ends, Love Lost says they'll reverse what they did to those people before they're done. So yeah. <laughs> excuse after excuse after excuse. It's OK to do this. It's OK to put people under immeasurable pain and trauma because we're just going to undo it. Don't yeah. worry about it. I, I like to imagine that like 
they're just all taking Cradle's word for it that it can be reversed. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, this whip that severs body parts. Yeah, you just push this button on the side and it yeah, uh, totally. it, it, it uh, turns it off. It turns off the yeah. severed limb. You whip the body parts and they just whoosh, yep. that makes sense. They come back together. Yep. It's also a healing whip. Yep. The, yeah. old, the old elusive healing whip. <laughs> yep. Um. Yeah, I, I, I love this. Like the thing that I really like about it is Nailbiter, who we've established as uh love lost but further along the path basically calls her out on her bullshit because she's like when this ends when we're done and nailbiter's like we're never gonna be done we're never yeah. gonna be done and she's like no that can't no it can't be it can't be and and like i love that we we talked about this before right like when we saw her talking about like this dream of going to this corner world and retiring like we know that's bullshit right because she was planning on killing all these people at least in her mind but it's just we kind of thought it was weird because they're like we just even then even knowing what we knew about her back those chapters ago we didn't buy this idea that she could ever be done and seeing that she has completely bought into this idea that eventually it's going to be over. Eventually I will have accomplished the things I wanted. I will have defeated the monsters. And and it's so bullshit because she says in the beginning of the chapter that the monsters will never all be defeated. Like she admits that to herself at the very beginning of this chapter. It's never going to end. You're never going to get all the monsters. You're never going to feel like you, you can't quit. You can't quit. And you know you can't quit, but you're going forward anyway. Yeah, basically a great example of a character who thinks things like one third of the way through. Because um, like it's also possible that she's imagining like going out in a blaze of glory as she takes out her her henchmen or something yeah. like that. Like like just just kind of continuing to pretend that she really thinks everything's going to nap going to wrap itself up in a nice little bow. And, yeah, um, I think we've all been there in our lives. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I, like I'm not like love lost. You. How like it's it's these are very human traits that are yeah um turned up to eleven because shards and powers and massive traumas like yeah I mean that's that's the thing I love about her as a character is this is all very this is all very human reactions yeah. to things um it's just it just goes to the worst possible version of that right yeah I was being mildly tongue in cheek like I've never been in the position where I needed to kill all of my subordinates um but I have been in the position where I was like yeah 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 I'll I'll study for that test. Um, right after I finish this game. Yeah. And then I'll still have plenty. I still have, let me look at the clock. It's only midnight. So I'll have enough time to study for, hmm. You know, like it's, it's the, it's the thing where you know you're full of shit, yep. but, but you're just gonna keep on whistling by. It was like on Monday night when I knew I needed to prep for this podcast. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I mean... It, Tomorrow will be plenty yeah. of time, but Scott, you have, you have two meetings tomorrow. No, I mean, but yeah, but they're not that long. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it is. It is like that's. I mean, that's what that's what I think this book tends to do so well is it takes like very relatable, understandable things and then genrefies them into uh, chopping people into pieces. <laughs> right. Right. And murdering everyone that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's weird how relatable it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you just wanted to kill all your subordinates, Matt? Uh, you know, sometimes. Um, so later, uh, pretty much concurrent with the present, Love Lost enters the dream. 
and it's all different now. Uh, first, it's her dream, a memory with her daughter uh, in a backyard birthday party, and she loses her daughter, uh, and then she finds her crying, angry at her mother for driving away her father, and then the dream transitions to the mall and the stampede, but it's different this time, and she gets a pause, a break to say goodbye, and she says, I'm going to do my best to make sure no monster ever does something like this again, um, and then Instead of going back to the room, uh, instead of the dream ending with her death, it just it just uh, transitions straight to rain. Uh, but it's not what really happened. Uh, it, we have rain um, trying to stand up to Seer, uh, but he can't because Mama Mathers is watching. And then when the attack starts, uh, rain removes the lock and the chain. Um, and then there's Cradle's dream. Uh, which is chaotic and abstract as usual, and he's being bullied as a child, and he's being railed at by his parents. And then at the mall, he seems to just escape the fallen attack before it even starts. Um, and that's so. There, there's kind of the obvious level on which we we're going to talk about this. But I also wanted to just say, like, is it possible that this is what really happened in Rain's case, or and, pr probably not? Right? I don't think so. No, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so either. I was just wondering, like, is there some shard fuckery where it's like messing with their memories? But I. I I think it's there's very little reason to, to believe that right no and and i mean like the the thing is that like cradle is the one that says this dream is giving us like a vision of what we wanted um mm. and and because he's cradle like we have to take everything he says with a certain grain of salt but i think he could be accurate here because i, I don't think he was expecting in all his plans and all his maneuvering i don't think he was expecting that to happen because yeah. i mean there was no way any of them could have known that Colt's entrance into this room is presumably Colt's entrance into this room is going to change how they perceive the dreams. Um, but, but he does, he does like, and, and if we look at it as this idea that Colt says, this idea that, um, or no, cradle says rather, um, this is what we wanted. It becomes really interesting, right? Because we see in love lost dream, um, she doesn't see the death, but it is still like heavily implied that it happens, but like, she doesn't save her daughter. She doesn't like, like, Cradle just walks away, right? But but not in Love Lost's version. She just gets to say she get she just gets to tell her daughter, um, I, like you said, I will make sure that no monster ever does something like this again. And so, when you look at that in the frame of what Love Lost wants the most right now, it's more justification, right? It's using her daughter as a justification for why all this is okay, mm -hmm. um, because I made a promise to my daughter, and therefore I have to keep it. I have to keep it. Um, and that means that I can do all this stuff. That means that um, it, it all goes back to that. And then it's OK. And Rain's dream is really interesting because Rain's guilt was that he he froze. He didn't act. He didn't try. He didn't um, he, he didn't take the chain off. And in Rain's version of the dream, um, he does that. He takes the chain off the door. The door opens. But they all die anyway, still. Mm -hmm. And so what is what does Rain want most of all? He doesn't want to feel guilty. He, yeah. do, he doesn't want the guilt of knowing that he didn't act. And this version of events gives him that in a, in a fucked up kind of way. Right. It's like even if you had taken it off, even if you had opened those doors, it wouldn't have mattered. So don't feel guilty anymore. Yeah, it's even like it gives them what they it gives them the antidote to their to their problem. Right. Like it takes away Rain's guilt. It takes away Love Lost's rage. You could you could argue. Yeah. Um. And then so 
here's the thing. Cradle, we don't, we, I don't think we've really seen his dream. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what he did in the mall, what happened to him in yeah. the mall. Yeah. What we see him do here is he like sees the fallen come in and then he tells someone and then he leaves. Yeah. And it's like, well, well okay, then what did he, <laughs> did he leave without telling someone before? Like, is that, is that the, and, and by telling someone, what is he giving himself? You know, right. is he give, uh, so, so it's a, there's kind of a complicated, like trying to reverse engineer what Taylor, uh, what, uh, <laughs> why did I say <laughs> oh, that? There's a Freudian slip full, for full you. Full of Freudian shit slips today. Uh, um, are you saying that Cradle and Taylor are equally bad, Matt? Is I, that I must, what you're saying? I must be. Yeah, that must be exactly what I'm saying. So let's talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting derailed talking about the cradle dream issue, but like clearly this is going to make sense to us later. We're going to come yeah. back and we're going to see this dream and we're going to be like, yep, that, 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 that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and I mean, know, it, it all works into this framework of like what their, what their issue is. Yeah. I mean, I assume that the text is, is designed to make you want to reverse engineer that, right? Like yeah. we have three people we know two of their dreams we know what the changes in those dreams are and then so you see the third one and you want to be like all right so uh what uh, what's going on here yeah 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 like i, I wonder if snag would have like saved the girl he was trying to save you know right like, right not, not i mean so he tells someone in a shop but he doesn't say that was because snag was jonathan right that's his name right um right. he was in a like he owned a store so he was in a store yeah. so uh, he doesn't say that that was Jonathan, the person he told before he walked out, but maybe that was Jonathan. And like he gets out there earlier and is able to, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, what we, what we saw coming happens. Uh, Colt is in love lost cell with her, uh, which is just so perfect. Yeah. Not the fifth cluster member. She doesn't replace snag. She doesn't replace that hidden room. She's a, a bud of love lost. So she gets to hang out. As buddies in uh, that part of the room. Yep. And and literally this way Love Lost can't be like, oh, yeah, I guess the cluster was looking for another member. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, this no, is no. She's you. your. This is you. She's your responsibility. So she goes in your cell. Yep. Yep. And also that means every night, not only does she have to relive the death of her daughter, um, she also has to be in a small enclosed room with um, the person who she turned into a monster. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah. Okay. So Colt doesn't know that she's not supposed to talk to rain. Uh, so rain is able to speak his mind, uh, to help introduce her to the room. Uh, he mentions the mama Mathers factor that was present in the dream, but love loss is still resistant to having any sympathy for him. Yeah. Resistant. Yes. But the vision combined with him, um, talking to Colt, kind of puts a little chink in her armor, right? Yeah. Like suddenly for the first time we see a love loss that isn't quite as confident in her diagnosis of a, of monster for rain that she was before. Right? Like we see it kind of like, wait, hold, uh-oh, what? Hold up. <laughs> and of yeah. course, Cradle is doing the same thing too. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe this might indicate that you're actually not as bad. And you're like, okay, Cradle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Right. This whole time. I, yeah. I've been wrong. Yeah. Oh, I'm so devastated. Right. That I was just so wrong. And and it seems like he's already he already starts kind of playing that up before the lights start dimming. Yeah. 
um, because he knows what's coming. So yeah, suddenly the lights in her pentant, going to bring that word back, start to dim. And Cradle already has an excuse for this. He's like, oh, uh, they uh, there's two of them and they're draining the energy too fast. That's yeah. all that was happening. And it's really like, I mean, props to him for thinking on his feet because I don't, he wasn't expecting, like he wasn't expecting Colt to be there, right? Like, right, like right. he or, or he didn't know or he didn't fully understand. And so like, it's like an excuse, like a think on your feet excuse that like immediately falls apart because Rain's like, because he's like, yeah, it'll probably just end in half the time. And Rain's like, has it been half the time? He's like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Moving along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, as soon as the dimming starts, Lovelost's first thought is to be suspicious of Cradle. Um, and it says her hand slammed against the invisible barrier. And she screamed. They didn't seem to see her. A face on the wrong end of one-way glass. Yeah, this realization, right? This wonderful realization that... Oh, holy shit. Like, I love how she says, like, there were some people in my life I just wasn't good at reading. Like, I never got a read on Lee, my ex-husband. Um, oh, wait a minute. He has tri... Oh, fuck. <laughs> and then she's on the side of the glass. She's she's on the same side of the glass that the monster was at the beginning of this chapter, right? Yeah. Almost as if, Love Lost, you're the, you're the monster, Love Lost. Yeah. It's you. Yeah. I mean, Cradle is too, obviously, but... Um, it, it's wonderful imagery. I, I love, I love it so much. Yeah, you too. And now, and now her silence is forced, right? Like now, now she's speaking. Now she's finally willing to, to, to speak and scream and try to stop it. But now that, that damning silence is forced onto her. Yeah. There's almost a, a satisfaction, but, but it's stifled that comes with her. Like she's finally just screams and lets loose. Yep. Um, she's been holding it in this whole chapter. The, even even from way back in the day and now she finally screams but it's but it's too it's, late yep it's no avail it's waited too long you, you compromise too much so love lost further reveals that uh, her understanding of march's plan is um that she uh wasn't gonna actually trigger the time effect it was <laughs> it was just um fake um, sure, sure and, jan yeah yeah right and rain's like and, and you're going to chop them to mincemeat? That's like how you're going to... And uh, and Cradle goes, no, to disable them, to force them onto the bench, that if something did happen, they wouldn't get hurt in the time it took us to step in. And and she thinks truth, except now she didn't believe him. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, okay, 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 love. Um, <sighs> and then Cradle offers Rain his coins, the tokens of the Tinker Power, and Love Lost realizes that they're really Cradle's way of eroding the warmth and empathy of his cluster mates. And she thinks the most galling part of it all, the fallen boy had never been giving, given anything until now. No bleed through. Just him. So there we go, Matt. The bleed through is real. It exists. Um, and it was right in front of our faces and we just didn't see it. We just didn't see it. I love it, though. Like, I'm kind of glad I didn't guess it because I think it made this so much more satisfying. Yeah, I, I I love this reveal. I love how this works. I love how this ties everything together. We were talking about like the the, the we there, there was this central plot problem where we like we really wanted I think we wanted to feel good about Rain's progress. So like we, like we as readers and I think all the characters involved wanted to feel like Rain had made progress. He's doing good. And this idea of a personality bleed would kind of take that away from him. Right. It would like take that agency away from him, that choice, that change. Um and now we have a way of these two things existing simultaneously that uh, 
it is true that there is a bleed of emotion, a bleed of personality. Um, but he didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm actually like, I found this to be an incredibly effective cliffhanger because so, so the cliffhanger is she watched waiting, waiting for her chance, waiting to see if the fallen boy took the coins that would steal his warmth, whether he did would determine who she gave her teeth to all her power for the day and dangerous, reckless rage. I thought this was a great cliffhanger because I'm like, I've, I've, I've been like scared of rain succumbing to the cluster somehow, like yeah. the, the whole story. Right. Cause he's like, you, at first we were like, Oh no, is he gonna, is he gonna like become the bad person he used to be? And it's like, no, I, I, I no longer think that's a big risk, but now there's a new risk, which is cradle kind of contaminates him with his, with his coldness. Um, yeah. And, and it, yeah. And I love how the dream kind of maybe sets that possibility up. Right. Yeah. That just this idea that like, like one of his, his, he's like, Oh, this dream is really fucking with my head. And it's like, yeah, because maybe it's giving you the exact kind of release from the guilt that you wanted. It's like, no, I think you need to feel that guilt still a little bit, like not forever, but to just, to just have this dream erase it and then have these coins further remove that, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm terrified for him. I hope he doesn't take them. I hope he's smart enough. Um, right. So I want to talk for a second about the idea of like like coldness and like taking away the warmth. Like to me, what this says, and this doesn't quite sit right in my mind for some reason. So I'm not 100 percent sure. But but basically, like the idea is that Cradle is like a, a psychopath, like a, like a completely cold blooded person. Yeah. And the reason he's so furious at Rain is that when he says you took me from me what he means is that like the the bleed through with his other cluster mates he he got some of their qualities and he actually felt like loss and and regret and things like that yeah it made him time. actually feel things yeah. yeah i think you're right so and and now you know he he wants to basically get back to the place where he doesn't have to feel any of that stuff anymore yep i think you're right Okay. Um, I, before we move on, I know we've been on this chapter for so long. It's ridiculous how long we spent on this one chapter, but I, I want to talk about this idea of the power. Like th this is why I love this so much because I think it ties into so many other things we've been looking through our breakthrough characters. The power that you get erodes your humanity. Right. And this is something we've, we've kind of seen for a while with these characters, like there was a moment in last week's chapters. I don't think we highlighted it, but where both Ashley and damsel were take aim and fire some of their blasts and damsels hits and Ashley's misses. And this, this idea of Ashley made a choice and that choice led her down a path of hopefully recovery of becoming a, a more balanced whole person. But the consequence of that is her powers don't work as well anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, the same thing with, uh, you could argue with what's going on with Sveta right now that, um, except kind of in the opposite way that like the, um, suit, the, the body she had that she got, um, is inherently less effective at, um, less effective at superhuman violence. Yeah. Right. So, so it, it is, it is the, it's a trade-off, right? Is this idea of maybe outside of body form, she's more effective at being a parahuman, but she's less of the human that she wants to be. She's less on that road to recovery. And I think that that, that kind of same thing falls into place here for rain. This idea that 
getting those tokens, getting that extra power, like Rain has always been the guy who was kind of the shitty parahuman, right? Like at the very beginning, that was his thing. He just wasn't that good. And he's gotten a little better because of the, sa- the the snag stuff. And he's just a more confident, better all around person. But like the idea of accepting the more power erodes your humanity fits everything we're talking about here. It fits this, this central idea of parahuman powers as trauma versus recovery you know like it just i I love how that like and it it makes the the coins the tokens as a a stand-in for the idea of um of the personality bleed like works so well and i love it that's why i love it so much because it just ties into everything yeah yeah i I love this through line that you've drawn where I, i think almost all of the members of breakthrough actually qualify as being people who um, the more they indulge in their power, the more they use it all out, um, the more it makes them less the person they want to be. I mean, cer- certainly, um, well, you, Chris is a very complicated example because of yeah. how he chooses to frame things. Yeah. But the Victoria is another one um, who, who fits this where like she 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 avoids using the wretch as much as possible because yeah. it, it even though it's arguably her strongest power, um, she uh, it reminds her of, of the person she doesn't want to be. I mean, Kenzie too, right? Like the, 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 her power is doing, is, is creating the exact type of things that lead her into trouble on her path to recovery. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like framing it around (laughs) Capricorn is a little complicated, but yeah, I mean, here's, here's my loose framing on this one that I don't know if it holds up, but I'm going to say it for now. Um, this idea that their, their goal, their solution for recovery is like, um, to hopefully not have to share a body anymore. Right. And that would like inherently make them less good as parahumans, because like you could argue that one of the most effective uses of their power is the ability to swap between those two different, uh, forms like the, to be able to swap the water to, to yeah. rock and then rock to water inherently makes them better capes. And that's like away from mm-hmm. like the, 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 their, their ideal end goal is, Hey, we are in two different bodies again. Um, yeah, so you right. can make that, that's a little more thin. Yeah. But. Uh, no, I like that. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Cause then it would just be Mr. Water Cape and Mr. Rock Cape, which they're, they're, they're fine, but the ability to switch between them is obviously really excellent. Yeah. 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 Cool. And it kind of fits with love loss too, a little bit here, be- like even pre Cape love lost, because this idea that like she's sitting there in the bar talking and everyone's telling her how good of a cop she is, how good, how good of a police officer she is, how effective she is. And, and you want to trace, you want to chase that power, that, that, that ability to be good at this job. Well, what are the consequences of that? The consequences of that are your family are, um, you know, it's destroying you, but you're still chasing after it. And yeah, I, I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to twelve point three. Hey, uh, hey, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, that we're on that one chapter. Worth it though. Uh, yeah. All right, so we're back with Victoria in the aftermath of the power surge that knocks out everyone's parahuman abilities. Victoria has fallen hard into the midst of the grid of mines, which promptly shock her with the power that makes most of her body seize up, and uh, may have temporarily stopped her heart. It's always fun when you start your chapter with your protagonist basically dying. Yeah. I love it's the most Victoria thing ever to be her heart is literally stopped. And one of the first things she thinks is, huh, time of death was given at the moment of the flat line. The arrest of the heart was that am I dead already? Like was 
It's like Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a, a Victorian nerdy, like practical thing to think of in the moment of your heart stopping. Yeah. Yeah. It really is very, uh, it's hard to put my finger on why, but it feels very on brand. It does. It really does. So Victoria struggles with her physical situation, giving us snippets of awareness of how the fight is proceeding around her uh, as various team members defend themselves without powers against what are, in many cases, still formidable opponents. Victoria is just lying there making this distressing high-pitched whine uh, due, to, due to the clenching of her body. I'm not really sure why I loved that detail as much as I did, but I really did. This idea that like her, she's so she has such lack of control of her body that she's making this high-pitched whine, and she hears the whine before she even realizes it's herself. Um, and like the, one of the dogs like is called over to her because of it. Um, I just yeah. I, I I think it's really really great. Yeah, right. I I want to think forever about about why that is because that's I agree that that touch is awesome. It's like she she doesn't see herself as being the type of vulnerable person who would make that sound. And so it doesn't even occur to her until she gets some other evidence for it. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so her power gradually turns back on in tiny increments, her flight, giving her just enough power to let her stay on her feet, her force field breaking against the slightest force. Um, and as she writes herself, swan song asks, or perhaps commands help. And then when she comes over, Ashley says, give me your body. So on top of driving all the Ashtoria shippers on the internet absolutely crazy, um, this is such an important moment for Ashley. I, I love this so much. This, this, we were talking about this idea of, you know, being alone, solving your own problems, dealing with yourself versus this asking for support, asking for help, your your community, and that's exactly what Ashley is doing here. She needs help, and yeah, she's commanding, but but not. She's pleading too. I love that it's like. She she labels it a command and then and then a plea and then a plea because she needs because she's good at at group therapy. But no, a plea because she cared enough that she wanted to help Sveta so much. Um, and like at the end of the day, this is why I think Breakthrough is going to win like this. They're going to win this conflict and they're going to win the world. I don't know that whatever the the climax <laughs> of the story is going to be. Why are they going to win? Because they're together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. This is especially a fantastic moment for Ashley. Yeah. It just made me so happy. And and just the, you know, the image of the two women hobbling their way towards Sveta with Ashley blasting the minds out of existence as they activate. Um, and, and Victoria kind of like unable to use most of her body, but just acting as like a physical crutch. Um, just like kind of pathetically, but like determinedly trudging forward. Um, yeah. while, while Svet is being crushed by a K-53 that looks like a rook. Yeah, maybe it's just because I watched um, Detective Pikachu trailer like six times today. Uh -huh. But I was like, I Need a Hero was playing in my head as they're walking across the, <laughs> the map, like destroying mines and stuff. Um, as I When I reread this chapter for the last time, right before we started, um, that was just in my head and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Chevalier moment where he's he's like dying of radiation sickness and like horribly cut up um but he's still like like marching forward one step at a time yeah to fight behemoth um i got a question yeah. for you though were you worried about sveta in this moment because i was kind of surprised to feel not that worried about her like she's she's having this rook guy like beating the crap out of her but i was like nah man this isn't how sveta goes out not like this yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, 
Um, I think of her as being really durable. And I know it's yeah. said, the text said that he was like crushing her like face and like the her organs, organs yeah. behind her face. But I'm like, but isn't she like, I don't know. I guess I just thought she was durable in general. I, I know her tendrils are like extraordinarily durable, but I just kind of figured she was pretty tough. Yeah, uh, my, gr- maybe, my girl not going out like this, Matt. Yeah. Not like a chump. No, no way. No way. So it's a very unusual and awesome fight as everyone just kind of like inches forward, their powers very slowly kicking back in. So the feel of the whole fight is this like herky-jerky five steps forward, four steps back struggle against like failing powers, terrain, mines, partial paralysis, incoming glass bombs, and Paris projectiles. And that's even before the winged K-53 engages. Yeah, so I kind of like this fight for its, I mean, I don't, necessarily think it was trying to be goofy but i like it was i just imagining like no one can like walk really well like victoria like her arms are like like still like she doesn't have control of her muscles she describes um some of her movements as like moonwalking (laughs) and it's just like like i think i think i was just like so in need of like a pressure release um, that even though the stakes in this battle are high and even though it's going to get super serious, super fast when she stabs someone in the neck and then someone is actively drowning while we're negotiating. Um, there are moments in this battle where I just kind of enjoyed the silliness of it a little bit. Um, and that that felt a little refreshing to me. I think any time that your heroes are being like utterly pathetic, um, there's a there's a bit of relief to it. Yeah. It's hard to. I think I've said this like multiple times on the podcast, but like the reason I think Harrison Ford is, was a great action star is because he's continually pathetic and getting his <laughs> ass kicked. Like, like he's not kicking ass, he's getting his ass kicked, but he's, he's still struggling through despite that. So yeah. this is like, like the physical descriptions of how completely fucked up everyone is yet. They're trudging forward. They're, they're, they're pushing forward. That's kind of what, it's kind of the the feeling that I had there, the, the yeah. Harrison Ford feeling. Yeah, moonwalk to victory, man. Exactly, just like Harrison Ford. Yep. Uh, so at, at a certain point, her force field has come back somewhat, um, but it, and, and it's actually mostly skin tight. Yeah, but it's like it's like it's kind of what she wants, but not really what she wants because it's like, oh, good, it's kind of skin tight, but oh wait, there's a a vague there's Victoria an, head poking out of it, and it's just yeah. like, oh god. Yeah, right. And it's, and it's super weak, too. Yeah, yeah. Eventually she, uh, <laughs> excuse me, eventually she kicks a shower of dirt at her opponents, which prompts the two sides to start talking shit to each other. So Victoria and Swansong bring their uh, mouth game, mocking Etna for being a crappy shot and then going hard on the uh, you guys are OK with cutting up kids angle. Yeah. And I think this is, again, why the tone of this battle seems a lot less like dour than some of the other ones have been for me because they just start shit talking each other and it's just like the classic swan song shit talk and she's really good at it and it's just it's fun it's fun yeah it's the classic swan song shit talk and and you feel like victoria and her are almost like volleying victoria is much more like angry swan song is much more doing the self-aggrandizing villain thing but right but yeah i mean it just works it just works really well yeah i mean it's and it's so fun to see them like they were physically supporting each other and now they're like emotionally supporting each other and like pinging off each other with their smack talking it's great yeah um so then uh when contender tries to enlist vulture hawk to attack victoria who he refers to as goldie uh, she begins to taunt him, reasoning that somebody with his power probably has an inferiority complex about this kind of thing. 
and then Swan Song easily tag teams with the taunting. I mean, so we're we're starting to see a trend here, Matt, of switching from fighting to to talking it out, right? Like I think Victoria was like talking about how frustrated it was that this kind of stuff never works, that the, the trying to talk the villains down doesn't ever seem to work for her. But she always tries it. There's always a moment in these fights where she's like, OK, hold up. Let's stop this. Let's like yeah. or, or or like, let me try to use my words to manipulate you into a, a situation that gives me an advantage here. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's great. Like, that's so that's such a, a very Victoria thing to do. And I think it adds a. a a dynamism to the battles a little bit. Yeah. It's a great aspect of her character that she always rolls social, even though she has like a minus one in social. <laughs> hey now, why does she have a minus one? <laughs> because she fails at it pretty consistently. <laughs> this means her I, dice is bad. It doesn't mean her, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's true that she fails at it pretty consistently. Maybe I think she feels like she does, but she, that's a she, very, that's, that's Victoria. Yeah. And, and she's often in situations where it's just like, no, that was never going to work because you really have nothing to offer. Like they, the, your opponent w- wants to fight you. You sure. can't talk your way out of it. Yeah. Uh, Byron then drops a swimming pool on everybody <laughs> and, and Victoria and Swan Song mostly evade the impact. So then, uh, yeah, he, he, he launches it up into the air, right? Like he makes yeah. the water go up. What was your read on that? Was he just trying to get it like cold and come down? Like instead of coming down in a group, it was like going to come down and like in a wider area and it'd be colder because it went way up first. Yeah, it's a good thought. Like maybe, maybe more of a spray and less of a like massive concussion that crushes bone when it yeah. hits. Yeah, that he wanted he, he didn't want. Yeah, I don't think he wanted them to all like be like wiped out and washed away. He just wanted to make them all super uncomfortable because it's freezing cold water. I think he also wanted to just cover the whole terrain with his water so that he had the option of switching out and uh, and, and, and trapping uh, trapping everyone in it. Wouldn't it be a good trick to turn a giant swimming pool of water, shoot it up in the air, and then turn it to rocks and have like little rock spears rain down on everyone? I mean, yeah, but it would probably kill like everyone. So. Well, you know, I'm just hypotheticals, man. Yeah, sure. I mean, he could have tried it, you know. I mean, his sure. brother's in half, so I don't think he should be switching out at all right now. But I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, being in half never hurt anybody. It literally did. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Had worse. <laughs> really? Um, really, you've had worse? Please explain the situation in which you so, had worse than being chopped in half. So then uh, Victoria grabs a mine out of the ground and throws it at Edna, nailing her and causing her to fall face down in the water. Thus begins uh, the heroes and villains playing chicken over whether they're going to just let Etna drown. I think we skipped the part where Victoria stabbed someone in the throat. Oh, did I? I think so. <laughs> that yeah, seems important. That. Victoria yeah, stabbed Vic- someone in the throat. Yeah. So first Victoria gets in an ugly brawl with Contender. Um, first, like inside his domain for a minute until Swan Song blows apart the arena. Uh, and then she stabs him in the throat with her. With her needly, needly finger things. Like several times. Yeah. Has, has she used every part of her armor? I think like she as has. an offensive weapon now? I think she has. It's pretty great. She's resourceful. Yeah. Um, there's this moment here, like, she's decided to kill people, right? Like, she's made that decision. They're going forward with it. But there's this moment when you're like, oh, God, did she just kill him? And and the book, I think, almost knows you're going to have that reaction because the first thing that happens is um, that one of the case 53s is like, no, she didn't get any arteries. You'll be fine. And you're just like, I was just like, oh, thank God. Like, cause I, like, I understand that like a 
death here would be completely justified in in some of these cases but that doesn't mean i want victoria to do it i don't want victoria to have stabbed some guy into the throat until he bleeds out and dies yeah right i I don't know if i feel like uh i feel like victoria is going to end up killing somebody at some point in this you're probably probably right like and it's gonna fuck her up it's really gonna fuck her up she is not like really grappled with like the implications of of that Especially like for someone like her, I don't know, man. We'll see. Um, yep. So there's that and a drowning thing happening now. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I mean, we're talking about um, <laughs> the silliness of the combat, and just because there are moments in the combat that feel silly doesn't mean we have a a full um, <laughs> a full. It's not a caper. Yeah. No, like it, it gets serious fast, and it uh, does here. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I love how Paris thinks that contender is a worthless piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but this is all conveyed subtextually, like just like in, in how he looks and like how he's like silent and staring at contender when he says things. It's, yeah. And he, it's so he keeps, he keeps us trying to get contender to stop talking and he just won't, he just yeah. won't do it. Yeah. It's yeah. really great. Uh, and then Prancer and Moose finally reach the scene. Yes. And Victoria again tries to undermine the resolve of these two hammering in that the people they're working for cut up kids uh with moose she emphasizes how this isn't him he's not a violent guy prancer doesn't even seem to need much of a push he's like looking for an excuse uh i mean he was the guy who set up hollow point in the first place like he, he wanted a civilized way of doing things uh, a way of being a villain safely he's basically the villain version of victoria mm-hmm. uh, so it doesn't take much to persuade him to, to negotiate actually he's he's all about that yeah, I mean, this is this is really I think let's just get through this and then talk about it at the end because we need we need to get his his moment. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, finally, they agree to trade Sveta for Etna and Sveta slips away. Victoria and Prancer come to another deal. The heroes will leave alone anyone Prancer names and he'll tell her where the real bad guys are. Uh, oh, and also uh, a lot of money. Well, you got to get the monies. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're you're a villain, come on. Um and Etna says, if you thought it would be any different, you were lying to yourself. This is the default, the way things are staying. It's the best we get. Fuck that, Prancer snarled. My boy. And then everyone everyone in the world fist bumps. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that is a very direct callback to the moment very earlier in the book when... Um, Someone wrote in big letters. I think that was Hollow Point, right? It, it was in Hollow Point, yeah. which it makes it even better. Yeah, where they wrote, "This is the way things are now," um, and Victoria says, "Fuck that," and yeah. that like starts her whole journey to right. to stop the bad things from happening, to go on this whole journey she's been on. And yeah, now we have a character who was instrumental in Hollow Point, who's one of the people that set it up. Also, also having that sentiment, also rejecting the idea of. This is the way things are now, that this is the default. This is the way they're staying. It doesn't have to be this way. And he rejects it. And I'm not going to sit here and call Prancer like a good dude. Like um, he did some real bad stuff. Like he definitely sold drugs to kids and I think hooked up with them. Right. Like he was sleeping with underage kids. Yeah, he, so. he, insi- he, he insists that they weren't underage. OK, sure. I'm man. sure he checked. Yeah, I'm sure he checked their their ID, got a birth yeah. certificate. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, Prancer and Moose are not like good people but they're not the level of bad that uh, that the people that we've been dealing with for the last few arcs are they are still people that like and there are people that like 
once again, going back to this idea of community, idea of being together, there are people that were just looking for a place. Moose especially is a person that's just looking for a place to go, to belong, to be part of something. And it not not it not in like he didn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to deal with the shit by himself. He just wants a summer a winter camp. Right. A that, winter that's camp. that's like that got that made me the happiest of anything in the world was yeah. was a contender saying, You're fucking us and then Prancer replying, You're fucking us. How's Moose supposed to have his adult summer camp? Um <laughs> and, and it's like it's like that's they're they're not the greatest guys, but they fundamentally want everyone to be safe. Yeah, like they're they're not they don't want anyone to be hurt. I think that they both see the things that they do as being harmless, right? Right. right. And like just just a little good fun. It's just just some drugs, guys. Just yeah, some drugs. Just some drugs. As we know, drugs are great. They've never hurt anybody. To quote the hero of this entire story. <laughs> um. So that was awesome. Yeah, Such I mean it's good. great. Like. I am so fascinated by like what we what we see like we we had this villain gathering and like some of the villains went really extreme and then we have Love Lost and and Cradle and March and which is like super extreme versions but just because those people are here doesn't mean there are villains that have yeah. given up on the idea of um you know not mass murdering everyone yeah um, can I say like I'm so happy because like I felt like. When we last, well, not when we last saw Prancer, but when we saw Prancer leaving the fallen attack, I was like, oh, okay, now begins the evil Prancer arc. Prancer yeah. becomes super bad. He's going to he's gonna cross all the lines because there's no point anymore and his plan failed. And and it's like, no, like, this is still the same guy. He, yeah. he, if anything, he's like chasing now. He's like, yeah, uh, we, we tried to go after some some people and kill them. And that was obviously a mistake. I was right. We should have just stayed in hollow point. Like, yeah. he, if anything, he's like doubled down on it. Yeah, he's he's you know real been out of shape about his his girl dying. But um, that's that that hasn't. If anything, it's it's steeled his resolve yeah. for for his plan. I love that you brought that up because I remember that conversation. I remember we we're like, oh god, are, is is the lesson that Prancer is going to take away from this that he can't be the person, he can't be this person anymore. He has to be a a terrible version of himself. No, that's that's not what we want to happen. And and it, we see here that it's not that he rejects this. He 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 is given a choice here, and he makes the choice. And I, I'm like our characters are not out of the woods yet right like there's still a lot of bad stuff going on and they still got a lot more fights ahead of them but you know for the first time in a while i'm feeling pretty good about their chances yeah yeah me too so the chapter ends with the joint hollow break break point ciders beaker point ciders the, the hollow beaker break cider points is that's, what you wrote down that's what i wrote yeah the, okay thanks i think we need uh, a simpler name for this this gathering of capes yeah, well, well, we'll workshop it. It's like uh, the, it's like the word for like a group of capes, you know, like like this group of animals. We need a like mur- a group a murder. of a murder of capes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the hollow bre- beaker break cider points turn their attention to the village of capes ahead of them, and that wraps it up. That is it. There um, we go. Yeah. Good, good chat. I can't wait to see what happens next. We Me might too. get we might get another normal chapter and an interlude chapter in the next week. We don't know. Everything's fair game. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, so let's get some community spotlight going on. All right. So 
Last week, if you recall, everyone, it was episode 100 of We've Got... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, So I guess first off, we should say thank you for everyone who congratulated us on the 100th episode. Um, We we did really appreciate it. And so, Matt, we did this thing where we asked this question Uh and... The, the question, was, sorry, the question was. Oh yeah, we was haven't your, even read the question. Yeah, what, what, what was your favorite episode of We've Got Worm slash Ward? Yeah. Um. So we asked this question. I was like, "This is a good question for this moment." What I didn't think about was this: that we're basically saying, "Hey, you people, say nice things about us, and then we're going to come here on the show and read all the nice things about us," which is like the most self-absorbed thing in the world. Um. So like. <laughs> We're going to read these questions because you guys took the time to answer them. We want to, uh, you know, show you our appreciation for that. But this makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I, I, like pulling these questions, I was like, oh, gosh, I feel so awkward. Um, thank you guys so much. Yeah. So now you get to enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. So let's just get started. Lots of answers here. Uh, it's very exciting. Yeah. All right. First up, we have Sarah Penguin who says, um, I'm just going to say my favorite thing is when Wildbo does something subtle to make me think about something or feel something. And then the podcast explains exactly how he did that. So I get to enjoy worm again and learn something. Also imps fire axe is both funniest moment and best character. Matt, I was, uh, I was going through and listening to some of our old episodes this week and I got uh-huh. to the, the fire axe part uh-huh. and I just want to say, uh-huh. You failed me. I know. <laughs> you said not a word. Not a word. I but, know you were thinking it because you were silent. So in your head, you're like, does he think the axe is really on fire? <laughs> but you didn't say it. You uh-huh. let not only did you let me say it, you let me publish it, you let me uh-huh. push it, and you let me sit there and listen to all these people make fun of me. So but, but, at the we, end of the day, your fault. It is my fault. But but I created a legend, so how can I feel <laughs> bad? Um I think I think in the moment I was like, was it a fire? I thought of, I thought it was just a like a fire axe, but maybe he's no, I don't think so. And then the moment passed and then I forgot about it until, you know, the until next day. we started getting comment after comment. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Uh, Scandia, ble- Scandiaca. Yeah. Scandiaca blessing says uh, their favorite episode was sting part two. The characters of Theo and Golem, I place them separately because so does he, are among my favorite parts of, of Wildbo's works, especially the culmination of his arc, the fight with Jack. The discussion involving that fight was my favorite. Also, that episode has the best comedic moment in Scott's inevitable vindication, re containment foam. Keep it up, guys. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that, too. And uh, I don't think we got copyright flagged on that one, so that can stay, right? Because you're, yeah. you're going through the episodes. And, I think yeah. so. I think so. Yeah. I love that. I loved that so much. I need to put more sound effects in this show. Yeah. It's the lesson I've learned about this. Yeah. Me too. All right. Lone Wolf uh, says the episode covering arc one of Ward. We did get some, not all of our answers were about Worm. Some of them were about Ward. Um, specifically this bit from the family barbecue all the way through the retroveal. They especially liked thinking about how far Victoria has come since the beginning of the story. She's not over it, but she's doing way better these days. And she was, than she was at the start of the story. I'm really proud of, proud of our Vicky guys. Me too. Me too. And I'm pretty sure that this section of the podcast is going to continue to age like a fine wine. Thank you. Lone Wolf. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, exe jpeg was fair says um, <laughs> favorite we've got um, Ward episode has to be when you covered Victoria's reaction after almost killing Amy. You you just seemed so in tune with the character just then. She won't leave. She'll never leave because leaving would be the right thing to do. And there she freaking is. <laughs> which I guess is what uh, what's funny is I don't even remember which one of us said that. I don't um, either. It's I don't know. It might yeah. we might have tag teamed it. I honestly don't yeah. know. But yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. I really I I I love that moment too. Like there are moments when like. I'm reading stuff and I'm like, I'm not sure what to make of this. I'm not sure if I'm reading the character right. And there, there are moments in the story where I'm like, yeah, I've got it. I've got exactly like I, I'm confident in in what's going on with this character. And that was one of them for me. So mm-hmm. I yeah. appreciate that. All right. Roundest Frog says one of the best parts about we've got warmed. That's a pretty good combination of the two is having a chance to hear other people's thoughts, feelings and reactions. It gives me insights. I never caught myself a chance to recap what happened over the last few chapters. And of course, it lets me watch others react to what emotionally agonizing events Wild Bo has conjured up past that. You're both wonderful hosts for the podcast. Matt's typically very calm and very good at analyzing while Scott's more energetic and tends to talk about the more emotional bits. Uh, there's clear contrast in both of you, but you're similar enough to mesh extremely well as co-hosts. Finally, there's a way you act as part of wild Buzz community. I don't get super involved in most threads on the subreddit. I'm not part of the discord, but the podcast gives me a chance to interact with others in the community, both by sharing my thoughts and hearing others, whether through these threads or you two talking about said thread at the end of each episode. Whew, that was a lot. Thank you, yeah. Roundest Frog. Um, yeah, I mean, Matt and I were kind of having a conversation about like the kind of kismet of the idea that we both generally approach stories in a similar way, but we do have different personalities. So like we look at stories similarly, but we come at them from different angles. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I think right. that's part of what makes this interesting. Yeah. We're, we're never just like, no, I. I think your take makes no sense at all, actually. Yeah, you, but you like, dumbass. Yeah, but but very often you will say things that I never would have thought of just from, from a perspective where I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't think of it that way. But now that you've said that, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's super valuable, and I appreciate that mm-hmm. about about this. Um, Feridian says uh, I'd either say Sting Part Two because of how deeply you delve into what Taylor does to Aster. Or migration because it helped me better appreciate an arc that I initially didn't enjoy because it felt like a distraction from the real meat of the story. That makes me feel good because I really did enjoy that arc, and if if it made people like it better, that yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think I think I've said this before, uh, probably ad nauseum, but all of the like uh, interlude arcs in Worm, I just like super super blitz through because I wanted to get back to Taylor's story the first time I read it. So. Um, those are all those are all things that I appreciated much more um, and then became like my favorite parts of the story yeah. afterward. Yeah. All right. Anti Chris says uh, their favorite episode of We've Got Worm is the next one, because the fact that there is another one is coming means we're still on this journey together. Oh, this horrifying, horrifying journey. And they also say, God, I hope someone murders Cradle soon. Oh, but Anti Chris, people are going to get mad at you. Believe me, you use the word murder. People don't like it. It's true. Trust me on this one. You should never use that word. Yeah. Calinero says, I think my favorite episode is probably arc eight extermination from Worm, partly because that arc is one of my favorites, but hearing you guys uh, get to geek out about the sudden kaiju horror mixed with our superhero story, the major plot developments, tattletale interlude, there's just a lot to like. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of people's favorite arc of the story. um, And it's, I think a lot of people's enjoyment of our show is just like 
us literally reacting to yeah, yeah. stuff they like. So I mean, I have, um, very, I have very distinct memories of being like, there's fucking kaiju in the story now. <laughs> what? So yeah, I think yeah. that's very understandable. Yep. Uh, Skintz says Queen Part One. Uh, the episode in which the term why but was created. <laughs> Need I say more? Fair enough. You know, Matt, I kind of to be honest here. I kind of regret oh. doing that. <laughs> I kind of regret it. Not uh, not because I regret any of the things I said about Taylor, but I regret like I think I think we've got worm. The journey through that story is a journey of us learning what it's like to have an audience. Uh-huh. And there are moments in which I don't think we handled that very well. And I think that's one of them. I mean, it yep. started as a fun joke and I appreciate that. Like everyone now like sees it as a fun joke and m- not, not many people take it actually seriously, but in the time it was really just agitating people in a way that I probably shouldn't have done. You know, I think, I think that, I think that what we didn't realize was that just because we created a meme doesn't mean that we controlled the meme. <laughs> that's true. That's very, very true. Got out of control. Um, 301 plus says, I find myself repeatedly coming back to infestation part two, where all the slaughterhouse nine interludes are covered. This episode is the spark that set off the, the we've got worm, uh, that set off. We've got worm for me. The episodes beforehand were good, but they felt like they boiled down to two guys analyzing worm. This episode felt like Scott and Matt analyzing worm. I think this is when I began to feel your enthusiasm for the story. And it's, and it's where you both really came into your own on the show. Um, and then they say that our episode followed through from there. Um, and we were just awesome for all the rest of time. Um, I, <laughs> I, 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 I like this answer a lot because like, I, I couldn't tell you when I feel like it came together, but yeah. it, it makes me want to go back and like, listen to this one and say like, what was, what was there something special about this one that was different? Yeah, I mean, and I think maybe there, there's definitely you can like see a, a tr- like a tr- line of us getting better yeah. at, at what we're doing and kind of figuring out what the story and getting more comfortable. Like the thing, the thing that I realized when I was like going back and just picking through some of the old episodes is like how much more emotive we both are now. Like just yeah. with like we're so much more comfortable in front of the mic. Like there's moments where I'm doing silly things on the old shows and I can like hear the embarrassment in my voice. Like I'm afraid to fully commit to the thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just I don't feel that way anymore because I've sat in front of this microphone so many times. Um, and I think that's part of it is, is getting to a point where we're both comfortable with the format, comfortable with each other, comfortable with ourselves. Um, and, and maybe that's why that, that was about the time that that we got to that point at least for, for 301 plus. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Next up, we have Hero of Old Iron, who says they're pretty torn between Sentinel, Sting Part 2. Lots of Sting Part 2. It's a pretty pivotal chapter, or arc, like chapters. Extinction, since they cover my favorite bits of Worm, but in the end, they have to go with Gestation for kicking it off, um, which is really nice because I, I generally feel like that's the worst one <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. So it's nice to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, classic Todd, it's a great username, um, says, I used to tell my girlfriend who hadn't read Worm about your intros. I just loved them so much that I had to share them. And to do that, I had to give all that context you needed to enjoy the gag. And it was this that eventually made her read it. So I have a a soft spot for those. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, then there are favorite moments within episodes. Scott's love for the Imago arc, the Sentinel arc that's centered around Weld, um, there is a reason why I look forward, why I still look forward to every episode of We've Got Worm, Ward, slash Ward, yes. Uh, of those many favorite moments, the one 
that for the moment might take the crown was when Scott realized he would just never find out what the deal with Sleeper is. <laughs> it was a moment of profound Scheidenfreude that I will forever treasure. I'm glad you're enjoying my misery. Yeah, I like to think that Scheidenfreude is a big aspect of our of our you know value proposition here. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, next up is Wanson. Um, who says, I'll go with the one where you apologized for ever doubting that Byron is best boy, because that one really stands out in my memory. I, I assume he means me. I don't remember us doing that. <laughs> well, well, I think I think there was a certain point where I was like, OK, I I'm now going to stop. Oh, your chocolate stuff. I get yeah, it. Not, I'm going to stop joking that Byron is the secret villain of the story because he's been entirely stand up and awesome and great. And and it's. It's 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 ceasing to be funny. Yeah, that, that that's what I remember actually. <laughs> I got gotcha, um, I got gotcha. you. That makes sense. Yeah. Proudly arrogant says at the first episode, um, and sorry, sorry. At first, favorite episode seems a tough question, and then I remembered, uh, look what you made me grew, and the path was clear. Oh, Matt, you had to remove that from the YouTube video I, today. That yeah. makes me so sad. It was. It really made me upset. Yeah, I had to because yeah. yeah, we're trying to clean up our YouTube copyright situation. So I had to I had to trim that out. Yeah, which thanks was, Taylor Swift. Yeah. So, but it's it's always going to be on the podcast feed. It though. will always be on the feed. That is correct. Yeah. Yep. Next up, expert eye roller says uh, when you made fun of Taylor's antics on the TV show in Arc Twenty Five of Worm, I honestly missed the joke during my first few read throughs, but your commentaries had me howling. Can I be honest here? Uh huh. I don't remember. <laughs> what, I don't remember what what happened in that part really. Well, that that was her being like super robotic and and wooden. Um, but of course she's Taylor, so she thinks that she's doing fine oh, and everything yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> I I, you're, you're, you're bringing it to, to my memory again. Yeah. Where, where they're like, welcome. And she's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> you too. She doesn't literally say that, but it's like that kind of, yeah, that I kind of you. humor. Yeah. Stell Hex says my favorite episode of we've got, where, uh, are the ones where I'm in the community spotlight. <laughs> Especially if it's one of the times I made an on-the-spot ontology. Yeah, those those are always the best. And then we keep using them forever. And they say, it feels good to be appreciated. I know you guys have said that one of the things that surprised you most about We've Got Worm was the enthusiastic response. So thanks, not just for making a cool thing that we like, but also paying it forward, so to speak. I like this answer a lot. I like the, it, it, the it's, it's honest and it's great. Um, and I like that. Not every answer we had to read was one talking about how good we are. It's like this guy likes when the community, the community spotlight section. I think that's great. I, I'm glad people like it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, you know, I, I like I like actually portraying this show as paying it forward because like my yeah. I, I I mean, this is a I don't know if I've ever said it in these terms, but like I, I was I love Worm so much that I was like, I want to like pay the universe back for this. Yeah. So that that is part of the motivation for this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the goal from the very, very, very beginning was um, allowing people that enjoy this thing to maybe find some more stuff to enjoy in it. Right. Yeah, like to, yeah. Or to teach you why you enjoy it as much as you do. Um, yeah. Because that's the eternal question for me. That's the question I ask every time I walk out of a movie I like, every time I finish a book I like. The question is, why did I like this? Like, what did it do that made me like it? And that's the question I want answered. And so we were generally like, let's answer this question and hopefully answer it for other people as well. So. Absolutely. All right. Last but certainly not least, we have Stuck in Reddit Factory who says they've emerged from their highlights re-listen of We've Got Worm. 
uh, work was really slow, so they were listening to a lot of it. And they wanted to say that I'm surprised to find out that my favorite episode is the very first one, Arc 1 Gestation. It's shocking how much Scott pulls out of the first arc based on nothing more than the correctly placed trust that Wild Bo is a talented author with something to say and the forethought to say it with nuance alongside knowing Matt enough to see the approximate type of thing that would attract his praise. Um, and of course, Stuck in Reddit Factory goes on. Um, it's a very long, very, very nice post. Um, we can't read it all because it's really long, but uh, yeah, it, the, but, yeah. <laughs> they posted I mean, it in the discord and I like blushed for like 20 minutes and I felt really uncomfortable because it was so nice. Yeah, they, basically they, they point out a lot of individual um, prediction, like things that you picked up on that, that were um, I mean, when I look at like the, when I look at the, at the, at all of the things you picked up on, even the first episode, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you really did kind of nail a lot of the elements that we just kind of, that, that, that remain relevant throughout the story. So it, it, it was a good, it was a good first episode in, in, you know, maybe not in terms of us being organized or audio quality or anything uh, yeah. like that, but I mean, it was good in, in that, in that way. I, I, I really appreciate this. And I know stuck in Reddit factory is not the only one who said the first episode and like, I look at that thing and the audio quality is so bad to my ears now <laughs> that I can't listen to it. So it's like, I, I've just kind of written that off as like, we can't like delete it cause it's the first one, but like, <laughs> I'm just like, I write that off as the bad one. Um, uh, and it is, and it, it, the audio quality doesn't remain like it, it remains bad for a little while. It slowly gets better, but, um, it, it's, it's really nice to hear that because like, you know, I've, it, my general, like my head canon of our thing was, we just started off and people just liked it because there was something to listen to and we didn't actually get good for a long, long time. Um, so it's nice to hear that. It's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you, Scott, is that we're going to be doing the uh, We've Got Worm Remastered where we just oh re- redo every episode. In, in, no. Um, <laughs> in my my monster of a mind, though, I was like, you know what would be fun to do after huh. Ward's complete to just do an arc by arc Ward analysis? This popped into my head and I was like, Jesus, me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we've said enough. No, we haven't. We just haven't. Um, and then, so that's all the responses to the discussion question. Uh, there's, of course, a Megafire's Carol essay of the week. Um, I think you had something specific you wanted to talk about here. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a three post long, massive essay that Megafire wrote. Um, you guys should go check it out on Reddit. But the one thing I wanted to kind of zoom in and focus on is something that he said that was very apt that I actually really liked um, that I think like you and I kind of circled around, but we didn't we I don't think I don't think I got there fully. And and the, one of the things he pointed out was the idea that like we have we have Victoria and we have Ashley and they're like leaning on each other and supporting on each other and kind of on the wings is Carol and Damsel. And these two are kind of a representative re- representative of the a pat like a, a person that they that either one either were or could become right and and so like ashley and victoria are sitting here watching a a possible version of themselves duke it out in a ridiculous kind of absurd way where they're just being completely unreasonable and stupid and annoying and and completely dismissive of everyone else's feelings around them and it's a great way of of seeing like how they've come together to become something else and here's on the wings these other two people that are that they could have been but are not because of you know not just their their bond as friends but the their their community and their whole group the group therapy that's awesome 
And I, I really, I just really liked that. Um, and the whole essay. It's great. Read it. Read it. Yeah. That's, that's well, beautiful. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Go check it out. Um, so discussion question this week, I'm going to do that thing where I ramble for a second to contextualize it before I ask it. Okay. Um, so like in, in like a very entertaining aspect of Wildbo's style is how he shows the character working out the problem solving aspect of combat. Like in this chapter, Victoria's powers were knocked out. So there's a lot of detail and thought, her thought put into like, okay, how, how is she going to address this complicated problem, uh, battlefield, um, especially now that her power isn't really working. There's a lot of this kind of thing in, in well, okay, there's a lot of this kind of thing in every Wild Bill story, actually. <laughs> um, now that I think about it, it's it's kind of a focus, actually, of, of how he of how he thinks about action, I believe. Mm-hmm. So all of that being said, what is your favorite example of a Wild Bill character creatively problem-solving? Um, yeah, that's it. I think there are going to be a lot of examples of this, if I had to guess. Yes. Matt, I, we forgot to do that thing. Where you told me your favorite episode of We've Got Worm, Ward. Um, I told you you had to, and I, you, you were supposed to spend all week preparing. What's What's funny is I had, um, yeah. So so one of my f- so so something I really enjoyed uh, re-listening to this week was um, the episode where uh, it, it was the Wards it was the Wards uh, arc Sentinel, and first of all. I just love like the subject matter of discussing all the different wards from, from their points of view. I just thought it was, I thought it was a good, it was a really good arc and I, and I was really happy with how we discussed it. And I, and I really enjoyed the uh, guess the Cape game where we go from, uh, Pigo's, fo- you know, uh, folio on, on all of the Cape ratings of the capes in the city. And then, and then you try to guess which Cape is which rating and, <laughs> and you did it up with like a game show sound effect thing and like game show music. Um, that was, I think that, I don't know, I don't know if I can say a favorite, but that's going to get like a big honorable mention. There, there's a, there's been a whole bunch that I really enjoy doing for, for a lot of different reasons. I always enjoy my, my, um, Nilbog, um, um, intro just because I got to be ridiculous, but yeah. like that doesn't make it my favorite episode, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's my answer. I like that. We need to do more stuff like that. I think we just like, we become so busy that I don't do this like bonus, like, sound effect stuff but it's it's like going back and going through the stuff i realized like how often we did that in the other show and i'm like man we should do that yeah i was so ambitious and then i had more time then i don't have as much time now but yeah that's a good answer it's true i like spec yeah my favorite episode of ours is spec um it's because i'm a sentimental sucker and i think just i loved how we discussed the end of that episode i i love we put um in the entire last chapter we put um music playing over all of it yeah and it worked out really well and i loved it yeah yeah i, I remember that that was another one of my favorites definitely yeah. yeah anyway sorry i i derailed us yes the discussion question once again is what is your favorite example of wild bow character creatively problem solving on the fly yep And that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. Make sure you follow that Twitter account so you can be notified of when March's Madness starts. Uh, My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and I said today uh, I need to tweet more, and then after doing it for like an hour, I was like, nah. And Matt's is at Mordenavale. 
Yeah, you know, and if y'all have been using that uh, hashtag, we've got dice, um, Twitter just like suddenly decided to show me a bunch of stuff from that hashtag that I hadn't seen before. So um, yeah, sorry about that. See, but, uh, here, here's, the th- here's the thing with it. Uh-huh. Um, it Twitter automatically goes to like top when you search for a hashtag. Okay. And you have to switch it over to all instead of or latest so Great. you can see them in chronological order yeah it's ridiculous but okay dude. well I'll, I'll sort that out and uh yeah so please keep using that hashtag for the uh weaver dice campaign yeah we will get you your your names in there yeah and if you're not already subscribed to we've got ward we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode you can find us on itunes stitcher youtube google play and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts and as always you can find all the other shows we do over at our website doofmedia.com um, Matt, we've got a new book club this week coming out this Friday. So, um, if you have read or still have time before Friday to read NK Jemison's the fifth season, um, you can join us Friday night at 9 30 PM central time for that book club. Please join us. I love doing those. They're so much fun. And the more people that are there, the more fun we have. That's right, Scott. And if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And this week, special thanks to new Bidoofs, Florian E. and Brendan H., both at the $1 level. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And as always, make sure you head over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We are just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate to us right now, that is absolutely okay. There are tons of ways to help us out. You can share the show. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Hopefully Less Pretentious, who gives us five stars. And I know you guys were not tired of us reading things where people say nice stuff about us. So here's some more from hopefully less pretentious. This podcast taught me how to analyze. I've never really been particularly astute when it comes to picking up on subtleties, nuances, and themes in the media I consume. We've got worm changed that the analysis is so accessible and understandable that it's changed the way I read. That's the highest compliment I can give though. There's plenty more things to say about it. Um, that's the highest compliment I could get. That's I'm, I, <laughs> I thank you so much. Like, that's amazing. Um, I, that's like, we were talking about it before. That's what we want to do, right? Like, like if we can help people appreciate the stuff that they read more then that's like, that's the, that's, that's everything. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of speechless, which is not great podcasting content. So, <laughs> well, all you uh, have to speak now is the end of the show. So yeah, I can say thank you. And then I can say, all right, that's all for this week. Next week we'll be back with more of arc 12 heavens. What's it going to spell, Matt? What are the arcs going to spell? I don't know. I don't know. What's it gonna spell? I don't know if that's. Z- I don't know if that's the thing. Zebra. It's gonna spell zebra. Z zero. Zebra. Z- Zemo. Zemo. Like Baron yeah. Zemo. Like Baron Zemo. Yep. Oh. Yep. Man, crossover. Yep. Exactly. Greatest, the greatest crossover. No one saw it coming. <laughs> <laughs>